Today marks our nation's 245th birthday. It's been 245 years since Congress approved the text of a document called the Declaration of Independence, actually signed later on, on August the 2nd. Today there will be uh, appropriately be celebrations and tributes of thanksgiving for the freedom that we have as citizens in the United States of America. And in pursuit of freedom, we declared independence from a monarchy many years ago. When we think about it in the political realm, we often equate independence with freedom. Frequently, we, we interchange those words of independence and freedom. They're closely related. But that doesn't work when it comes to the spiritual realm. It's not any, an exact equal. Today, we will see that spiritual freedom found in Christ, spiritual freedom that is found in Christ, is not the same thing as independence. Let's turn to our text and see how the Apostle Paul teaches us about what it means to be alive to God, who is our new master. So find your way to Romans chapter 6. It's page 794 in the, in the pew copy of the Bible. Or if you're using a device, it's the sixth book of the Christian New Testament. So a quick reminder from Romans chapter 6. It's a letter uh, to believers in Rome that were made up of Jews and Gentiles. Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. He had not yet met these brothers and sisters in Christ, but he hoped to do so when he was on his way to Spain. The letter is, has been, was written all about the gospel, the undeserved, the unmatched, the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's all about how the gospel works and what God means by this good news. For the purpose of our study, we're looking at six different divisions, and we've looked at the priority of the gospel. We've seen the, the meat of the hearts of the gospel. And now we're in this longer section, chapters 5 through chapter 8, on the assurance of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, there is a lot in this world that is not assuring. There is a lot in this world of which we are not sure of. The gospel is not one of those items. We can be fully assured of our standing with God because of the gospel. Now, if you're a brother or sister who is struggling with assurance, that's okay. That's normal. That's why God made part of his word about assurance of the gospel, to comfort you, to help you, to help you navigate through those doubts that you may have. So as we're looking at the assurance of the gospel, we begin in chapter 5, and we've noted the peace of, the peace of God. It's offered as assurance, how we have access to God. We have assurance of the gospel, because we can even have joy in the midst of suffering. We noted the love from God, that we are represented before God by Jesus Christ. And then chapter 6 is all about being alive to God. Last week we noted in verses 11 through 14 that being alive to God includes a mental step, or a mental, to use Paul's word, reckoning or counting. It's not enough just to hear that we are alive to God. We have to count ourselves. We have to consider ourselves. We have to reckon ourselves as being alive to God. We also noted that being alive to God comes with physical responsibilities. That we are not to, to yield our members to sin 
We're not to use our body towards sin, but we are to yield our members as inst- to God as instruments for righteousness. As I read from Romans chapter 6, note how Paul kind of restarts the conversation when we get to our text beginning of verse 15. Would you please follow along as I read from God's word, Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted or united together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So Paul says, if we are united with Christ in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection as well. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death no more hath dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, here's the mental piece, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the physical responsibilities. Let not sin therefore reign or rule in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments for righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under, under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin that leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Unbeliever, If you have gathered with us today, and you are an unbeliever, you have not placed your faith in Jesus, here at the start of this talk, ask God to show you that freedom in Christ is your only hope in having a life that never ends. Christian, brother or sister, that's most of us here this morning, be assured of your standing with God as you seek to walk in obedience to your new master. You see, freedom in Christ, freedom in Christ may not be what you think it is. It's not independence. Freedom in Christ is actually found in submission to a new master. Who is your master? Two major ideas to consider from this passage this morning. First, the faulty reasoning about having a new master. 
And then secondly, the sobering reality about having a new master. So let's begin with that first one, the faulty reasoning about having a new master. Verse 15 says, What then, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Paul says, God forbid. Let's consider the old master for a few minutes. The Bible refers to sin as the poison of cobras, as a filthy garment in God's eyes, defilement of the flesh and of the spirit. The Bible tells us that sin reveals our rebellion and our ingratitude. And sin is not removed because we have been sorrowful because of our sin. John Flavel said it this way, if a sinner's penitential tears were as numberless as all the drops of rain that have fallen since the creation, they could not wash away a single sin. Sin is not removed by our sorrow over it. The Bible teaches us that sin leaves us unsatisfied, although it initially presents itself as hopeful or satisfying to us. Sin condemns a soul to an eternal, never-ending torture in a place called hell. And every single human being is born into this world as a slave to what I just described from God's Word, a slave to sin. No human being has been exempted from bondage to sin. We are all fully, willingly servants to sin. So Paul begins by giving us a reminder that at one time we were under the rule of sin. Friend, take that reminder this morning. You must never forget the tyranny of your sin, your sin before you came to Christ. You must never forget that you were dead and the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, as Jerry read from Ephesians 2. You must never forget the death grip of sin on your eternal soul. You entered into life absolutely and completely enslaved to the master of sin. That's the bad news. But as one preacher said it, the greatest gift God could give to fallen mankind is freedom from sin. And it is that very gift that he offers through his son, Jesus Christ. So that's why the gospel is called good news. It's a message of salvation. It's an opportunity to be rescued. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. Paul tells us here in verse 15 of, of Romans 6 that whoever, who, that whoever has been justified by faith alone is no longer under the law, under sin, but under grace. So through Christ, we have experienced freedom from the mastery of sin. That's the core of the gospel message. That's the glory of redemption. That's the beauty of salvation that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Our master is changed. Paul says, we are not under the law, but we are under grace. And that is the truth that is often misunderstood, or even worse, sometimes it's twisted. There's a faulty reasoning about the gospel. There's a faulty reasoning about having a new master. In fact, twisting that truth is, 
is really to be expected so much so that this is the second time in 15 verses that Paul refutes it. You see how it, he kind of restarts the conversation in verse 15? He asks basically the same question as he was asking in chapter, in chapter 6, verse number 1. What, then, are we going to continue in sin so that grace may abound? He knows that this argument, that this reasoning is, is going to come to him. So how is it misunderstood? How is being under grace twisted? How is having a new master misapplied? People falsely re- reason that because they are no longer under the law, there is no reason to avoid to run from sin. People falsely reason that because they are now under grace, they have freedom to do as they want, even if that includes sin. And that faulty reasoning is not limited to the first century, right? This isn't just for the Romans. People received this letter initially. It's still happening today. So it might sound something similar to this. I asked Jesus into my heart when I was five years old, so even though my life has, has been and is characterized by sin, I'm good to go because I'm no longer under the law. I'm under grace. Or, I know I really shouldn't indulge my sexual fantasies, but I'm already a Christian, so what's the worst that could happen? Or, well, you can't tell me that dressing immodestly is inappropriate. I mean, I'm under grace. Or, I'm a Christian. My chains are gone. I've been set free. So even though identifying as a different gender is sin, I'm going to be just fine in the end. Or, I'm not bound by the law of Moses. I can live however I want to live. Or, hey, I know all about grace. My pastor almost turned into a charismatic when he preached through Ephesians. So I know that my sinful lifestyle is covered because I am under grace. Friends, maybe some of those are extreme, end of the spectrum. But this is the attitude That is the faulty reasoning about having a new master. That is the kind of rubbish that Paul calls our attention to in verse 15. Freedom to continue in sin? Paul says, by no means. God forbid. No way. What a ludicrous idea. What a dishonoring way to serve your master. In fact, one commentator said it this way, to make being under grace an excuse for sinning is a sign that one is not really under grace at all. Friend, I don't know your heart. You know your heart. God knows your heart. But there is a warning for all of us in this passage. There's a warning for anyone uh, who claims to be a child of God, but lives as a child of the devil. When we attend a Christian wedding, we serve as witnesses to a union between a man and a woman who have professed Jesus Christ. And that service includes a declaration of their intent, right? The bride and the groom promise to cherish one another, to love one another, to hold fast to one another until until death separates them. What if we attended that that kind of a service, a Christian wedding in the month of June, I guess because June is a popular time to to get married, but then in August, we see the groom flirting with a different woman. 
a woman that he did not marry in June. And further, what if we confronted that guy and we said, hey, what in the world are you doing? And he kind of nonchalantly turns and says, oh, yeah, I'm not going to marry that second woman. I'm already married, so no worries. I got this covered. We would be livid. We would be looking for a two-by-four. I probably can't say that. We, we would be livid. We'd be frustrated. We'd be confronting in love, sternly in love. What are you thinking? The groom cannot possibly reason that because he's already married, it's okay for him to be involved with another woman since he won't end up getting married to her since he's already married. You see the faulty reasoning? That's the illogic that Paul is calling out here. You cannot continue in sin because you are under grace. You have a new master. So friend, will you consider this morning in the quietness of this room, will you consider how you might be continuing in sin but relying on a this poor theology that you are under grace? Will you ask the Spirit to reveal to you ways in which you reason away sin by claiming it doesn't matter because you are under grace? Ask yourself how you may be using grace as a cop-out to obeying your new master. Freedom in Christ may not be what you think it is. It's not independence. Freedom in Christ is actually found in submission to a new master. Who is your master? Paul not only alerts us to the faulty reasoning in having a new master, he also provides us with the sobering reality of having a new master. In verse number 16 we see, we read, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves as servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Sometimes we get this idea that, that freedom, uh, gets the idea of, of freedom, and we're thinking about freedom, and we come to this passage, we're thinking about freedom, especially because it's talking about slavery. But this passage is not primarily about freedom. Paul's main point is not about independence. Rather, he's teaching and he's, he's reminding us that whoever has been justified by faith alone has a new master. Let me point out three words to you in this text. You know, we've already read verse, verse 15. It says, you're not under the law, but under grace. We're still under. We don't get the idea that we're out and free and independent of, of being under any master. We still have a master. I've heard people talk about being self-employed after many years of being employed by a company or whatever the case may be. Being self-employed has its advantages. Being self-employed has its disadvantages. Not under a boss any longer, but still under the pressures of having all the load, all the responsibilities of the company. Not, Paul says, not under the law, but under grace. Note also in verse 16, the word yield says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves as servants you obey. Some translations have the word presents. It's another imperative. We're to yield or to present ourselves. You don't get the idea of independence when you think about the idea of yielding or offering or presenting. When I come off, the, high, come off the, uh, the bypass over here on 30 and come up on New Holland Pike, there's a yield sign. I have to yield my vehicle to the oncoming traffic in order to avoid 
an accident, a collision. I'm, I'm prioritizing somebody else coming through who has the right of way. I'm stepping back. I'm submitting to who's coming. The third word is that word servants in verse number 16. Uh, it's, it's translated as slave in other translations. Well, we certainly when we think about being, don't think about being free when we talk about being a slave. Paul is not telling us that we are being freed from all masters. Rather, he's explaining that we've received a new master. And that is the sobering reality about having a new master. We are not being freed to go live however in the world we want to go live. Rather, we are being called to live in submission in a yielding way, in a submissive way to a new master. We still have a master. It's just a different master. And this new master, in this new master, is where we find freedom. Paul says, whoever you present yourselves to as an obedient slave, that person is your master. When we think about slavery today, when that word comes up, most of us automatically go to the stain in our own nation's history. Civil war time especially. Or maybe we think more modern about someone being kidnapped and then sold and then forced to serve. That kind of slavery is still happening today. That's the way we predominantly think, primarily think about slavery, I think, today. But in the ancient world, it was, it was significantly different during a time of, of Paul's writing. and There was that going on still, but there was also slavery that was, that was more of a voluntary service. It was as offered as compensation. For instance, when someone needed to pay a debt, they could do so by offering themselves, by presenting themselves as, to someone as a servant. They would serve that individual. In fact, it's been estimated that the, the people here, the, the Christians here in Rome, the church that Paul was writing to, was maybe even up to, to, to made up of, of, of half of people who were, who were slaves or ha, who had been slaves at one point. So Paul says, you are slaves to the one to whom you yield yourself. You are slaves of the one to whom you obey. What's the hallmark trait for a servant? It's obedience. And that's the idea here in verse number 16. Paul says, if we present, if we yield ourselves to sin, it will lead us to death. But if we present ourselves as slaves of obedience, the end is righteousness. We know this, right, from, from God's word. We can, we can think back to the Garden of Eden where we read in Genesis chapter 2, the instruction, but of the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. When Eve chose to sin, what was she thinking? How could it be wrong when it feels so right? But what happened? Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. They yielded themselves to sin. They obeyed the master of sin. And then they died. They died in their spirits right then. That fellowship, the communion that they had with God was, set, was now broken. There was separation. And they began to die physically. And eventually they ended up returning to dust. We could think later in the Old Testament about Achan and, and how he yielded himself to sin. He was enslaved to what he saw. What happened? He died. We can look throughout history. You can see the choices of men and women have made. And, and every time someone yields himself to sin, there is death. Now, of course, everybody's going to die physically because well, we, we, we can't live forever. That's part of the original curse of sin. But spiritual death is an eternal death. 
yielding yourself to sin leads to eternal spiritual death. Hear the warning. Heed the warning of Romans 6, 16. A person that is living and habitually unrighteous life cannot be a Christian. If you are habitually engaging in sin, if your life is, is characterized and colored by sin, you have no remorse of your sin, you're not seeking to do something other than live in your sin, you're not turning from your sin, you're yielding to sin, this text says you are not a Christian but heading towards eternal death. Paul gives the other side. He says, yield yourselves as obedience to righteousness. Now, this isn't gaining righteousness by obedience. Paul states that the, that the other side of this coin is that instead of being a slave to sin leading to death, you can be a slave of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And, and being a slave of obedience is, is not bondage, but it brings freedom in Jesus. So while we are no longer bound by the Mosaic law, we are under obligation still to a new master, to God, to righteousness. This is not a drudgery for Christians. It's not, oh no, I'm a Christian. I lose out on all the enjoyable things in this life. Not at all. Because being a slave to our new master is actually liberating. It's not independence from a master altogether, it's freedom under our new master. So what does that mean? Being under grace is a liberating power. Obedience to God liberates us to do all that we can for his glory. We're free to go out and to live to the praise of his glorious grace. So being a slave to God leads to righteousness, practical day in and day out righteousness, holiness. It leads to joy and it leads to peace and it leads to self-control and to kindness and the fruit of the Spirit. So for the Christian, freedom is not the opportunity to do whatever we want in the world, but freedom to obey our master and to do so willingly and joyfully and even naturally because we, have a new, we are a new creation. Christian, being a slave to God is the only way that you have joy and contentment in this life. It's easy to be discontent in this world, isn't it? You see other people with posh vacations or a vehicle you really like or a house you really like or stuff. You see other people with particular relationships and you think, oh, wow. And we can find ourselves fighting discontentment very easily, very quickly. Contentment. Joy, peace, self-control, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit are indeed a result of yielding yourself to your new master. An individual's pattern of living proves who his master is. If a life is characterized by habitual sin, then that life, the individual, is a slave to sin. If his life is characterized by obedience, he's a slave to God. There is no such thing as absolute freedom. Everyone is enslaved. Paul's use here of either or makes it, makes it obvious that there are only two possibilities. You will serve righteousness or you will serve sin. There's no middle ground. You're not your own master. There's a common misnomer that I can just control my own life and my own destiny. destiny. Friends, that's just a lie from Satan. It's the very lie that he used to deceive Adam and Eve in the garden. 
Jesus taught clearly in Matthew chapter 6 that nobody can serve two opposing natures at the same time. Nobody can simultaneously live in two separate spiritual worlds. So here, Paul is not teaching us in these verses that we should love obedience, although that is true. He's teaching us that we should have that we should be made a slave, have been made a slave of righteousness. For a Christian, a life of being alienated from God, that's a thing of the past. That was the old man that was crucified with Christ. For a Christ follower, the life of constant sin with no remorse is something that marked his or her former life, but not the current life. For God's children, the old sinful way of life does not continue to color every area of their life. A Christian understands and accepts the reality that we are born as slaves to sin, deserving physical and spiritual and eternal death. A Christian understands that God is angered with our sin, but that God chose us before the foundation of the world to be his children. That God made that possible by sacrificing his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus left the glories of heaven, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, and that at one point in time he went to a cross and he was crucified for sins that were not his. And then three days later, he was resurrected from the dead. A Christian believes that Jesus' death made atonement, made a payment for their sin, and that, that Jesus died in their place. And a Christian understands that, therefore, because Jesus died, God is, his anger is appeased. God's anger for our sin is appeased through Christ. Christ's death allows us to be redeemed from being a slave to sin and made a slave to God. Our master has been changed. Is he your master? I invite you if you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, to believe that what he did at the cross, through his death and his resurrection, you can have a new master. Christian, you've already done that. Are you following in the ways of your new master? You see, freedom in Christ may not be what you think it is. It's not independence. Freedom in Christ is actually found in submission, in yielding to a new master. Who is your master? Beloved of Harvest Bible Church, we have been freed from the mastery of sin, and now we serve under grace. This frees us to live to the glory of God, who allowed his one and his only son to become sin for us, even though Christ knew no sin, in order that we might be made righteous by God. And so now it's time to remember that. It's time to remember what, how God sent his son Jesus to go to the cross for us. Jesus gave an ordinance to his followers that we would take time to remember. And so this is what we do as we come to the table. Let's remind ourselves in song before we 